Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It's Thursday, January 12th, right around 10 a.m. And I uh, got a new uh, co-host here for uh, this episode. That would be former Miami Hurricanes quarterback Malik Rozier, who's, of course, with QB Country. And uh, Malik's been working with uh, a lot of different quarterbacks across the country, including Miami's Tyler Van Dyke here for the last couple of years. And I thought, OK, this is sort of the perfect time to fit uh, Malik in to talk about some of the offseason things that go on with quarterbacks and everything kind of going on in college football, because you were with the University of Georgia just a couple of years ago. And now, uh, as David Pollack told Nick Saban uh, <laughs> on live TV, uh, George is running things around here. I mean, that's the truth, though. I mean, they do run things. They haven't lost. They won two back-to-back natties. And at the end of the day, I think Nick Saban has to accept that. I, I don't think he wants to accept that, but I think he has to. Um, and a lot of it just is recruiting. You know, you look at those guys. They're all big. They're all fast. They're all strong. Um, so, to me, it was just a great job by Kirby and the recruiting staff for year after year getting, you know, top three, top five recruiting classes so that, you know, you can build that dynasty because it's not about just having one good recruiting class. It's about consistency of, say, getting multiple so that you know, hey, there's going to be some kids that leave. There's going to be some kids that don't pan out. But as long as you do your job, about 90 percent of the kids should be productive. Um, that's one thing that I think Georgia's done a really good job of being selective about who they recruit and obviously doing a good job of making sure that they can produce in the future. And, and I think one thing we learned, too, about Georgia, right, is you don't need a five-star quarterback to win a national championship. You can take a kid like Stetson Bennett and groom him and teach him and bring him along, and he can be the perfect fit for your offense if you got a bunch of five stars everywhere else on the field, <laughs> right? Like, uh, if, if, you can, if you can do it, I mean, you can coach guys up, and I think maybe this speaks also just to how well-coached Georgia is, that you can take a guy who isn't the highest rated, who didn't have a ton of offers, uh, but wanted to be at Georgia and as a program guy and how that can affect your program. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest with you guys. Um, whenever I was there, I told Stetson, before he had the starting job, this was when Dewan Mathis was the starter. Um, and I was like, dude, if you were about 6'1", you'd probably be the best quarterback in the SEC. So mm -hmm. talent for Stetson was never the issue. Um, when you hear Munkin talk, you know, it was really about, one, a little bit was his size, like would he get balls batted? Because obviously most of the defense alignment are 6'4". When it's 5'10 versus 6'4", it's a lot of batted balls. Um, and then secondly, someone was a little bit ball security, like the kid can make the throws, so he'd make a lot of plays. Um, but Stetson was someone that battled. I'll tell you this, a lot of people in that building believed in JT and Dewan. Like Dewan was the one that everyone liked. JT was the big kid from California that had all the talent. And you had the walk on Stetson that was just battling day in, day out, was, you know, going eight for 10, nine for nine, eight for seven or seven for eight. Um, and to me, that was a guy that just earned it. Like that job wasn't given to him. To be honest with you, I think that most of the coaches, like at some point, I don't say wanted him gone, but kind of wanted him out of his hairs because he was that kid that was 
good enough to compete, but didn't look the part. You know what I mean? Like if, mm-hmm. if he was six one six two, there would have been no problem. But because he was a shorter guy, there was things that was going along with that, as well as obviously you have two scholarship kids with JT Daniels and DeWan. So it's like, you know, they're on scholarship. We got to give them their chance first. Um, so obviously, you know, it, it helps when you have four and five stars, but it helps whenever you have kids that are determined that don't quit. I mean, I would say like, I don't say Stetson reminds me of me because obviously he has way more accolades than me. Um, but he reminds me of myself into the sense is when someone told him, no, he didn't accept it. You know what I mean? When mm-hmm. monkey was like, nah, like we're going to go with the one over you. He wasn't like, okay, I'm a walk on. I'm going to go walk on somewhere else. He said, no, I love Georgia. I want to be here. I want to compete and look what he did. So, you know, hats off to Stetson, but a lot of it was just him, you know, him versus himself. He had to fix his issues and he had to prove to the staff that he, that he deserved the job. And he did. He did a, uh, a tremendous job. And, and uh, I know people are saying, oh, he's not going to get drafted high. You know, they said the same thing about Tom Brady and look at how long his career lasted, right? I mean, he was kind yeah. of... Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he'll get drafted high. I think that he has to find a team that really likes him. But I, I think Stetson would be kind of like a Tim Tebow character. Mm-hmm. Someone with high character, high values, high morals, brings a team along. Um, I think that he obviously throws the ball a lot better than Tim Tebow. Um, but I think that there'll be a team that wants him just because the kid's a winner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I feel like when you have a, a team full of winners most likely that team is going to win. When you have a team full of winners and you have five or six losers, guys, especially at like, to me, a leadership position like a quarterback, it can bring down the team. And to me, Stetson's someone, whether he's playing or not, he always has a positive attitude. He's always trying to make his teammates better. So to me, he's a guy that like you won the building. Like, I don't know if you heard Kirby Smart talk about his son, but he's like his son, like Kirby walked on his son crying and his son was crying because Stetson was leaving. You know what I mean? Like that's the type of impact that the kid has is that people that are around him generally like the kid. And to me, that's very, very hard to find. Um, and obviously, he's a competitor and he's a winner. So to me, like, I don't think he'll get drafted high, but I think there will be one team that takes a chance on him. Yeah. Uh, Malik, uh, let me let me kind of reset here a little bit because we got right into it. And I love it. I love just talking football with you. Uh, but I want people to know a little bit more about you. We had you on the podcast uh, before the season, uh, right after I watched you and Tyler kind of go through a workout. Jakari Brown was there as well, uh, mm-hmm. working through his stuff and uh but but you work with quarterbacks. Um, you you've been on college staffs before. I mentioned Georgia previously. Miami, obviously, you were there in I think 2020, right? Uh, with mm-hmm. the Canes in 2019 with Georgia, and 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 now you're with QB Country. And part of the reason we brought you on too is because you're going to have your own podcast. I want to give you the platform to talk about that a little bit, and and when when that might be coming along. Yeah, I appreciate you. I was actually trying to produce it yesterday. I did not realize how long audio editing, <laughs> how long it takes. <laughs> Um, one thing that I'm really trying to clean up is my ums, butts, and likes. So I've been really mm-hmm. going back through cleaning that up. Um, it's funny. I have Rayshon Scott doing my intro. So a lot of the Miami fans, if you've heard Scotty talk, you'll know his voice. So he's doing my intro and I got some music going along. So um, it'll be about sports. Um, it won't specifically be about Miami. It'll be about just sports in general. Um, I'll predominantly target offenses, how offenses attack defenses. Um, I know this week's episode is about Georgia TCU. Um, I did some stuff about quarterback breakdowns where I break down two quarterbacks more on the intangible side. I think that a lot of people see quarterback from the tangible side. How many yards did he throw? What was his completion percentage like X, Y, and Z. But to me, there's a lot of stuff that off the field that really affects a team that people don't understand, at least from like a football dynamic that I try to go over. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I do some NFL picks, obviously there's the NFL playoffs. So I do a little picks and things like that. So it's real simple, just trying to get the word out. And obviously I'll build off of it, but um the schedule that i'm trying to set is the first of the week or the first of the month i want to do an interview so interview someone in business so there'll be some business ties to it and then basically every other week after that would be more football related so it'd be a little bit of business than mainly football 
Well, I'm definitely going to have to check it out. And what's the name of the podcast? Just the Malik Rozier show. Kept it simple. I'm not uh, too creative. So I was like, gotcha. simple. And so that's what I came up with. All right. Hey, I, I like it. Simplicity sometimes is the easiest thing and people won't have any 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 issues finding it. They just got to type your name into uh, wherever they download their uh, their podcast, I'm sure. Yeah. So I'm using Buzzsprout and right now it's supposed to go on Apple, Spotify. There's a list of like uh, eight to 12 different um, podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll make sure whenever I drop the podcast that I link at all, all the different podcast sites as well. OK, we got some mailbag questions, it, probably some of the stuff that I'm going to talk to you about anyway, but. Uh, just to, to tease that for our listeners who are like, OK, when is he getting to my question? We, we will get to some of your questions. I have some <laughs> of my own. I have some of my own here uh, for Malik. Um, let's talk about TVD for, for a moment. Um, obviously, not the kind of season he wanted. And there's a lot of reasons that played into that. No offensive line protection. I mean, he had a lot of a lot of pressure on him throughout the year. Guys were banged up. They had to play a lot of young guys on that offensive line. And then the receivers. Really didn't really replace Charleston Rambo and Mike Harley, two two guys that were just highly productive. Colby Young showed us some flashes, made some great catches in that Virginia Tech game, and it felt like, okay, maybe this is going to turn the corner, but that's not what happened on the stretch. Tyler gets banged up, playing through injury. Um, just give me your thoughts on Tyler. You know, for, for our listeners who didn't listen to our previous podcast with you before the year, you you, you spent a lot of time just talking football with him, you know, and, mm-hmm. and kind of going through the through the mental hurdles and everything that a quarterback has to go through during a season. Um, what was that season like for him? And what were you kind of telling him as he was going through it? Yeah, you know, I think it was definitely tough for Tyler. I think one, because of the standard that he set for himself. And I don't think it was to win any accolades. I think that day it was for him to go out there and just win football games. And obviously they weren't doing that. Um, so I think that really hit Tyler. And obviously you said he like you had offensive linemen going down, you had receivers that were dropping footballs. And obviously I don't think a quarterback's going to verbally say all oh, that frustrates me, but you can definitely tell that it was, it was frustrating him. Um, you know, I think it was something that a lot of people don't understand that, you know, confidence creates great players like Stetson, like Stetson isn't like when you compare Tyler Van Dyke's physical ability to Stetson Bennett's physical ability, it's night and day, but because Stetson walked there every day and was confident, trust his players, knew that those guys were going to make the plays, knew that the offensive line was going to make the blocks. Like, that's easy to play football in. And that was something that, you know, I had to tell Tyler was like, whether it's a good pocket, whether it's a bad pocket, like you got to sit in there because you never know when it's going to be good or bad. And a lot of it was just like small mental stuff. Like people still got to understand that, you know, Tyler technically this year to me was really Tyler's like freshman season. Like last year he played, but no one really had like a full year film on him. Like you see it all the time where guys, they play one year, second year, they struggle. That's because DCs. And I told Tyler, DCs are going to have all, all season sit there and watch every throw you were good at, every throw you were bad at, and every throw you were good at, they're going to try to take it away. Whether it's a coverage, whether it's a player, whether it's whatever, you know, that's what they do. They did it to me. You know, a lot of the the throws that I like to throw, they took it away from me from my junior to my senior year. And they're going to do the same thing this year. They're going to watch Gaddis. They're going to watch his offense. They're going to say, hey, inside this offense, what throws was Tyler comfortable with? And they're going to try to stop it. So every year, you know, it's mental. It's an adjustment. It's saying, hey, how do I get better? How do I keep improving my game? Because if you think these DCs aren't spending all all season watching Tyler Van Dyke and how to slow down this Miami offense, I mean, obviously we didn't put the numbers that we wanted, but they still know that we have talent. You know, Mario Cristobal is doing a great job in recruiting, so I expect some of the young guys to get a lot of playing time. So I I expect us to put up more points, hopefully, than what we did last year. So um, we'll see how basically Tyler, the offense, and these DCs adjust to everything that's going on. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say these scary numbers for you uh, again, Malik, just to inform our <laughs> listeners of of how of how bad things oh. got. I, I I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because it's responsible journalism here, right? To share what what the facts are. Uh, these are the 2022 football stats versus FBS opponents. So this doesn't include Bethune Cookman. This is just the the uh, the I guess what is it? Eleven games against the FBS opponents. Uh, 19.4 points per game. 112th ranked offense, scoring offense, uh, five yards per play, 5.03, which ranked 103rd uh, QB rating as a team. Obviously, this isn't just Tyler, but as a team, yeah. 94th, 123.59 QB rating, um, only average 3.3 uh, yards per carry, which was 109th on, on rushing. And then on third down, they were 81st red zone touchdown percentage, 119th um, gave up. Uh, 3.27 sacks per game. So they were 113th. And as far as explosive plays, they were 106th with only 38 plays of 20 yards or more. Turned the ball over way too much. 122nd as an offense, turning the ball over against FBS opponents. 24 turnovers against FBS opponents. There's problems everywhere with this offense. I challenge you now, uh, Malik. How do you fix some of this? How does Josh Gaddis, assuming he's the offensive coordinator uh, going into the season, how does he fix this? Um, if I'm being honest, if I'm Gaddis, like in, in his shoes, I'm finding me a very trustworthy wide receiver assistant, whether it probably needs to be a um, grad assistant. So you hire mm -hmm. someone that's a receiver specific grad assistant. This all season, I'm teaching him everything that he needs to learn exactly how I know it. And then what I'm doing is during the film studies after basically after the spring is that I'm in the room with the quarterbacks. I feel like that's and, and I know everyone has their opinions, but I feel like that's where Gaddis needs to be, because at the end of the day, like the quarterback has to be an extension of the offensive coordinator. And if you're spending, you know, 80 percent of the meeting times with the receivers, well, I'm not with you. You know, I can't get inside your brain. I can't last second ask you a question. Um, so to me, there's some stuff like that that I would change. And then secondly, I would just say tempo. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, when you have guys that aren't as talented, when you have guys that I want to say we, we don't have talent, but obviously we had guys that were dropping balls. We had guys that were offensive linemen that were young, that were getting thrown in there. I think the biggest thing that really helps teams is tempo, because a lot of times when you tempo teams, you can catch guys out of place. You know, I mean, you catch guys standing up, you catch guys being tired. Um, sometimes when you slow it down, you give those bigger guys kind of a chance to reset, catch their breath. But if you're going one, two, three, ball out, ball out, ball out. When these kids run sideline to sideline, they don't like it. I think that was one thing that Tennessee really did. That's one thing that Lashley really did. I don't think that, you know, Lashley nor Tennessee's offense is crazy complex. I think they changed formations a little bit, and I think they just tempo the hell out of people. And to me, that's one thing that, you know, when you have an offense that struggles, especially because you don't have the big bruisers like they had at Michigan, you know, we, we you can tell Mario's changing the type of offensive lineman that he's recruiting. So until you get those big guys, like play with speed, play fast, catch people off guard, you know, get people out of position – and the only way to do that is really to tempo people. Um, so that to me would be the second adjustment is, hey, how do I create tempo? You know, once I get my first first down, we're going straight tempo. It's quick game, quick game. And you can even go four verts and do it at a quick game. Right. Um, so there's different ways like that to really push the tempo. And I think that's something that, you know, if I was him, that's the only adjustment I'd really have. I wouldn't change my offense. I wouldn't change like my strategy because at the end of the day, like the offense works. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing wrong that he's doing structurally. But I think if he tempos it, there are certain positions where we have a mismatch that that tempo might be able to help them not get exposed as much. Yeah. Miami went into the you mentioned the, the recruiting aspect of it. They went to the transfer portal. They, they picked up a couple guys uh, over the week and they got six transfers now. 
Uh, but one of them, it was the starting center, uh, Matt Lee for, for, for UCF for the last couple of years, three year starter. Oh, yeah. I think number three ranked in, in the PFF pro football focus as far as uh, his grade. Uh, they added Javion Cohen who was a two year starter at Alabama. Those two pieces alone on the interior, what ways do you think that helps Miami? You saw some of the young linemen they threw out there, some of the guys that were banged up. I mean, just on the interior of the offensive line, how does that help a quarterback? Um, first, I just want to say that those guys have to get accepted. So I think that's one thing that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, like they're really talented. But an offensive line isn't judged by just one person. You know what I mean? Like if mm-hmm. the left guard misses a misses a a defense alignment, then the sack goes on the entire offensive line. So to me, that's the first thing is that those guys have to communicate. They have to gel. They have to be basically like one moving part. Like, I I mean, obviously those guys are really talented, um, but I think that's the biggest thing is they get accepted by the offensive line. I think they will, you know, obviously offensive linemen love each other. um, But I think that's a big part that people don't understand just because someone's talented. If he's not on cohesion, if I'm a center and my right and left guard aren't working with me or they can't understand me or they don't trust me, my communication you know what I mean? Then that's going to cause a sack. Like I'll tell you the funniest center that I ever had was Tyler uh, got the year. So Tyler got the year was the one kid that he would set a protection and I'd be like, no, Tyler, it's going to go right. And he would literally turn around and be like, okay, it's your funeral set hut and snap it. So that was something that was funny, but it's just like communication, <laughs> you know, like Tyler knew as soon as I, like if I wanted to go left or if he wanted to go left and I said, nah, we're going right. That even if he switched it, the offensive line, there was no questioning. It was okay. We're switching it. Right. Like, we trust you, Tyler. That was because Tyler trusted me. So there's a lot of, you know, especially when there's a centerpiece, there's a lot of communications because he's usually the one calling the calls. Like he is the leader of the offense. Obviously, he's a great player, which, you know, I'm I'm glad that we picked those guys up because I think we need to help at the offensive line. But I think, you know, him being able to actually lead that offensive line, that's going to be really hard because, you know, they're going to have to accept him as who he is. And and like I said, the center's a leader. So like yeah. that to me is going to be a big, um, I want to say off the field issue, but something that, you know, could be super interesting to see how the offensive line gels with a new leader. Yeah, because really it's been Ja'Kai Clark's unit for the last uh, few years. And uh, obviously Ja'Kai, he's playing through some some bad ankles. I mean, he was banged up. Mm-hmm. He showed a lot of grit and heart. Um, and, but when you bring in a new center, you're right. I mean, that is the guy that leads that room. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the, the, the relationships develop. Either way, Mario spent a lot of energy trying to fix this mm-hmm. offensive line. And, and in the sense that I got from people I spoke to at the school was if he had a better offensive line, the offense would have been a lot better. Tyler would have been able to throw the football, been able to accomplish so much more. Now, the one thing I do want to warn Miami fans about, and, and we, we talked a little bit about roster construction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Georgia going so deep on high school recruits, not the transfer portal, right? They want to set mm-hmm. their own culture. It feels like Mario, I mean, 25 high school kids, six transfers. He's still operating. If you And I broke this down, you know, my last podcast with Carlos Ledo. Um, it, he's recruiting very much like an Alabama, like an Ohio State, like a established, you know, program like Georgia in the sense where he wants the high school guys to be the foundation and the transfers are just sprinkled in. How do you think mm-hmm. that affects chemistry? How does that sort of set culture when you when you kind of bring it in, you know, through the youth and not transfers? Yeah, I think that when you bring it through the youth, um, you really get to know who you have. You know, a lot of these kids, when they're recruited out of high school, most of these guys, especially they're super talented, like they've been recruited since they were like 14 years old. So most of these staffs known for three or four years. They know who they are. They know their mom. They know their dad. They know everybody. Um, you know, when you go out to like, and obviously Alabama is a little different because he's been there, but like even like Central Florida or maybe we go to West Virginia or somewhere like 
you're almost guessing at the kind of kid you're bringing in. Yes, I might see his talent, and but you don't know if West Virginia, when you call them, if they're going to tell you the truth about the kid is good or bad or indifferent. Um, so to me, you know, there's a lot of culture impact that like maybe you bring a grad transfer in that thinks he's going to start. No, he doesn't start. And now it's toxic. You know what I mean? And you don't know that that, that kid is toxic if he doesn't play because you didn't mm-hmm. recruit the kid. You're just saying, hey, this kid was, you know, a top whatever in defense alignment or receiver, or DB, whatever position he is, and I'm bringing him in. So to me, I think that it makes it harder to really evaluate the chemistry of your locker room because I promise you, I'd rather have 53 stars that worked 100% every day than 55 stars that did it 75%. Because at the end of the day, if you give me four years with those three stars that work 100%, they'll bypass those five stars because everyone's talented in college. Everyone runs fast. You know, everyone has at least some type of size. The difference is that person that continuously gets better every day, whether it's 1% physically, whether it's 1% mentally, where it's taking care of my body. And to me, I think that's a big part that a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, when you have these kids at 18 and by the time they get 24, if I can have them in my system, I can teach them, you know, the right way to eat, the right way to take care of the body, the right way to rest. By the time they're 22, 23, the compound effect has made such a difference that now these kids are superstars. Um, so I think that's a big thing that Mario understands is that, you know, if I can get older guys that can buy me a year or two so my younger guys can get bigger, faster, stronger – that's the formula. It's not getting a whole bunch of seniors and barely the high school kids. It's getting the seniors that need that need to fill spots and then having your young guys develop, get bigger, stronger, faster during basically the season. So I know like when I was there, we had Friday morning lifts. If you were a travel kid or, or you didn't redshirt, you didn't do that lift. But because I was a redshirt freshman, I had to do basically like a max squat, max bench lift. And that, that actually helped me get from 185 to like 215 just in my freshman year. And I put on so much weight and so much mass and it really helped me protect myself. So that's a big part too that, you know, I, I, I know Mario understands that, but I want the fans to understand. Like if there's a freshman that isn't starting early, a lot of that isn't has to do with talent. That kid needs to grow mentally. That kid needs to grow physically. It's things like that, that over time, like really helps that kid get better. Yeah. And I think a lot of the guys in this freshman class, I mean, you just look at some of the body types, right? I mean, Mario wanted to get more size on this roster and, and mm-hmm. kids like Francis Maui Goa, who I went and talked to in Bradenton, uh, before he graduated and, and left uh, six, six, you know, 330 uh, pounds, just a big, strong physical kid. Samson Oakland Lola, the, the other five star offensive tackle, you know, big body, six, five, three, you know, three oh five. Uh, these are all just kids that I don't want to say they're plug and play, but they're guys that aren't necessarily going to take long because they don't need to put on a ton of weight. They don't need to go through the physical because they've already got the body. That said, it still takes a big mental aspect to adjust to the college game. And then to adjust to Mario coaching, right? Because right now he's your best friend. He wants to come to <laughs> Miami. But when he gets there, he's going to bust your ass. Um, I guess my question to you is, you got to, I mean, you you ha- you know several guys on this roster. What was the culture like this past season? How rough of a transition was it from, Mar- from Manny Diaz to Mario Cristobal just from a, hey, there's a different guy leading the locker room. And how much of an adjustment was it really for some of these guys? It obviously didn't work out. There were some guys that left here because they just didn't fit. Yeah, you know, I, I think it was something to where Mario just wasn't playing games with anyone. You know, I've, I've been on coaching staffs where, like, you know, certain players made a mistake and, like, coaches would kind of overlook it just because he was such a good athlete or X, Y, Z, whatever it was. And I think at the end of the day, Mario doesn't care. Mario has a standard, and whether you're the best athlete or you're the worst, like, you have to meet that standard. Um, and I think that's really what happened. Um, you know, a lot of times when there's a coaching change, some kids really say, oh, like, you know, this coach doesn't like me because now he's yelling at me or, or whatever the issue is. And so I feel like a lot of people mentally psych themselves out and it, it affects their play. Um, so hopefully that, you know, over this next year, the kids that did stay can continuously build that bond because that's really it. You know, 
the team is going to take on the identity of the head coach or the offensive coordinator or DC. That's just how like college football works. And so I think that, you know, a lot of the kids that, that weren't blue, I don't want to say even blue college just wasn't hardworking, just kids that just love the game of football. It's very easy when you love football to figure out who those kids are. You know what I mean? Cause there's a different type of passion, different type of love that like you have walking in that building every day. And I think that over time, those kids, it's not that they suck the life out of the team, whenever you're someone that's high energy that loves football and people around you don't, it almost sucks the energy out of you. And I think that's one thing that Mario felt is like, if you're going to walk in this building, you're going to love it. You're going to appreciate it. You're going to come to work. You're going to bust your ass. And I think there were certain kids that just almost felt privileged to be there instead of being like, Hey, like I earned this, like, let me keep earning my spot every day. So I think that was one thing that Mario really had to tell these kids is that you continuously got to earn it. Yes, you're here, but just because you're here doesn't mean that you're going to stay here. And I think that's something that, you know, it's at Georgia, it's at Alabama, it's at all the good conferences. Like you got to compete every day, every week, every year for your job. So. Um, I, I look at this roster and I still say, I mean, look, they've got six transfers. They've got a whole bunch of young guys. I still say this is a five to seven win team as currently constructed. They still need a number one wide receiver. Mm-hmm. They do. They, they, they still need a, a, a defensive tackle that can replace some of the production. Daryl Jackson did helping Leonard T- Taylor in the middle there. Um, I, I think cornerback, number one cornerback. I mean, I, I know they went out and they got uh, Devontae Brown from UCF, who has a bunch of starts under his belt. I know there's to Corey Couch, but Tyreek Stevenson was a different kind of number one cornerback for them. And, and even still, that secondary still gave up a boatload of plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some holes. When you look at this roster, what do you see as the biggest uh, ingredients that are still missing? Um, I don't know. To me, I think that's really hard. I definitely think they need one or two receivers. Um, you know, I hope we get, and, and I, I don't want to mispronounce the name, but Deontay Thornton, the kid from right. Oregon. Right. Yeah. He committed um, to Tennessee recently. So. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. that was one of the kids I really wanted. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I definitely think we need to receive one. And then if we don't, I mean, and, and I would say this, I, I think that, um, Kobe Young could be receiver one, but I think a lot of that has to do with how he progresses during this off season. You know, I think mm-hmm. he's big enough. I think he's fast enough. I think he's shown you that, you know, he can be the guy. I think it's about him just saying, hey, I got to consistently be that guy day in, day out. Like, I can't take a day off. I can't take a playoff. I can't do anything. So I definitely think we have enough talent to have us a wide receiver one. But I think having someone on the other side that, you know, really creates a dynamic part um, could help. But, you know, I think with these receivers, I think they're fine. Um, you know, we still got Xavier Restrepo. Um, and so oh, I we, think that we, we got we got grinders. There's no doubt. Miami's got grinders. I just think, you know, you. you People, people want to make the leap to be to Georgia, right? You want to be a national championship program. I, I think from, from a, hey, what, what can this team really do? How many games can they win coming off a of five and seven season? I yeah. just think there's still, there's still some true number one guys that you're missing on this roster. Who do we play? Let me look up. Let me look up. This. Does the schedule for next year already out? It should be out, right? Well, the opponents, the opponents are out. I mean, they've got uh, Temple on the road in terms of non-conference. They've got Texas A&M at home, and I think they've got Miami of Ohio at home, and then Bethune-Cookman. Those are the four non-conference games. And then they've got, uh, I think, yeah, NC State, Louisville. You got it there in front of you. Yeah, um, NC State, they should be NC. Louisville just lost their quarterback. Clemson, uh, I don't know. Uh, Boston College, terrible. Uh, UNC will be good. Virginia, we should be Virginia. Georgia Tech. I, I, honestly, I, I like Georgia Tech more and more. I don't think mm-hmm. I don't think they'll beat us, but I know uh, Buster Faulkner. He is a great offensive mind, and so I think that game will be a little more interesting than most people think. I I can't say we're losing Florida State. Like never, I'll accept that Temple win. <laughs> so like I mean, I honestly think that we'll win at least seven to eight. I think there'll be maybe one or two that you know we might lose just because of 
uh, I wouldn't say young guys, but you know, you have to put some Injuries, young guys in death. there. Injuries, something death, like that. Factor. Um, right. So to me, like, I think as long as they do a really good job of, you know, maybe getting one or two defense alignment um, and continuously having this offensive line gel, I think they'll honestly be fine. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep underselling them. See if that motivates them at all. See if that, <laughs> see if that is, hey, this 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 stupid sports writer keeps saying we're only gonna win five to seven games. Whatever whatever works to help turn the tide here, uh, Malik. All right, I want to get to some mailbag questions because people were really excited that I was bringing you on the podcast and and I, I requested some questions and I know they want to ask you some. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just go through them here and and get your thoughts. Uh, this is from uh, Neo, who is uh, at Capo. The bosses, that's how he spells it there on Twitter. He says, thinking big, but if TVD gets the throwing time that Stetson Bennett got, could he work his way back to a first-round prospect? And as a QB, how valuable is one extra second? One extra second is, uh, I would say, invaluable. Like, it has so much value that people don't understand between, like, the time that your brain gets to process, between the time that, you know, the receivers gets from one lane to another, like, there are times where like, you know, you have to hit the guy out of the break. And, you know, if you're getting rushed, you don't have that extra second to actually let the guy or the receiver sink his hips and, and go left or turn right. And sometimes you're throwing it and, and there's times where you want to, but you want to predict kind of where they're going. But, you know, if you get that extra second, you can slowly see their break, see their depth and not kind of guess, hey, you know, because I'm being rushed, I'm hoping that, you know, he's going to get his depth at 12. And, you know, sometimes kids go 10 instead of 12. And now the ball's a little overthrown because you were rushed. So I would say one second is, um, huge. I, I will say that the biggest thing that I think Tyler has to do and, and time will help, but I think it's just, you know, find the check downs, do completions, arm talent, isn't his issue. Um, you know, I think it's going to be taking a team that, you know, shouldn't win some games and he, and, he, and he has to be the reason why they win. Like the big thing that I love about Max Duggan was that's what he did with TCU. Like TCU maybe had one or two receivers. They had a good running back, good offensive line, but Max Duggan played out of his mind on most of the games that he won, throwing three or four touchdowns, a whole bunch of yards. You know, when you talked about TC, like no one thought TC was ever even going to come close to the college playoffs. And it's like, that's kind of what Tyler has to do. Tyler has to put this team on his shoulders and say, hey, like, I understand we're not the best. I understand that, you know, we're not all five stars. But at the end of the day, like, I got to do my job. You guys got to catch it and we got to win. So I think that's stuff that they got to figure out themselves. Um, there's no perfect formula. Every team's different because every person on the team is different. Um, you know, that was like my big thing when we played was that, you know, I got with the older guys, well, not really me, but like all the older guys got together one day and we were just like, dude, we're tired of losing. Like I'm tired of losing Florida State. I'm tired of getting bashed by NBA fans. I'm tired of like going home mad, sad, angry as hell. Um, you know, like, like, like whatever you got to do to win, do it. Like, I don't care what it is. I don't want you to talk about it, but whatever you haven't done these last three years that you're saying, hey, like, you know, everyone has a news resolution. Oh, I'm going to do this extra. I'm going to do that. Like whatever you saying yourself that you needed to do your ass needs to do it this year. And, and that was really it. It was us holding each other accountable. Um, I feel like at some point this team has to do that, whether it's Tyler holding everyone accountable, whether it's Cameron Kitchens holding everyone accountable. It can't only be Mario. It can't only be the staff because they're not the ones playing. You know, if there's a busted play, most of the time you see, you see guys on the field talking to each other. And that to me is where like, it has to be a player led team. So. Uh, by the way, this is where I get to remind people, you are still the only quarterback in the last 20 years to win 10 games at Miami. This is why they got to listen to what you just said. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. yeah, it's everybody. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you're, you help raise that team to a different level. Obviously, turnovers help that team that, that you guys, but, you, you know, that 10 win team that made it to the ACC championship game had a good leader at, at, the, at the top who made plays, who made things happen when, when things broke down. And 
hey, kudos to you, brother, for 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 Thank you. being the only quarterback to do that in the last two decades here. Um, this is from Armando Izaguirre, uh, AY2Mondo on Twitter. How much better can we expect the passing and rushing offense to be with the improved offensive line? Um, I think they'll be somewhat better. Um, I, I just – I, I really so how many years does that that center and how many years does the Alabama transfer have? They have two. Um, Cohen Cohen's been in college for three years already, and then uh, Matthew Lee I think is this is his going to be his fifth year coming up. So maybe a year left because of the COVID year. I don't know if he redshirted as a freshman as well, but I think between one and two years left for each of them. Okay, I would say if they had two years this year, they'll be a little shaky. I think communication is going to be hard. I mm-hmm. think that, um, you know, they're going to try to stick in some young guys late. Like I can definitely see Francis or even the, all the offensive tackle coming in late and trying to play. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, if we can keep that center and the Alabama transfer till the following year, I think the numbers would double from passing yards to rushing yards. I think that whenever you try to stick in two, I mean, we potentially have three or four new starters next year. I think it makes it very hard on communication. I think, you know, having the guys on the same page is, is a lot different. Um, so I, I would say I definitely think that the numbers will go up, but I don't expect it to be anything crazy. I'm hoping that the pass game goes up, you know, having Tyler in this offense for longer with the passing, having the receivers more comfortable with the routes and the depth and things like that. I do expect the pass game to get a little better. Um, but I think run game to me is just mindset and mentality and just communication. So, um, if one of those threes are off then it makes it very hard because a lot of times the run game, you know, you're having a guard center double to a backer, you're having a tight end tackle double to a safety, and all that is, is communication is hat placement, effort and communication. So um, I think the communication factor could play a huge role on if Miami's offensive line struggles a little bit. Um, this is two questions here from Andrew V underscore 17 on Twitter. Uh, Andrew says, uh, does Malik know if Ryan Williams, Rayshon Scott or James Coley have interest in returning to Miami? <laughs> <laughs> I think honestly, I think all three do, to be honest with you, uh, but. I'll, I'll give you guys a heads up right now. Uh, Scotty is with me for the next couple months. So Scotty is off limits. Um, <laughs> me and Scotty are building some companies together. Um, and then I don't even think Scotty wants to do like receiver stuff. I think he wants to be a strictly a recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I know those guys love Miami. I, I hope at some point they go back. Um, I think it would be very interesting to see if Coley goes back. But I don't think Coley would go back unless he got like an offensive coordinator job there. Um, so I don't even know if he would, but I know Ryan probably would. I know Ryan loves Miami. Obviously, he's a Miami guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I definitely think Rayshon Scott would, too. But for now, I'm going to keep Rayshon Scott because we got some business for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what kind of – this is the second question from Andrew. What kind of offense would be best suited to our current personnel? Uh, super simple, high tempo, get the ball out of Tyler Van Dyke's hand as fast as possible. And then when you cross the 50-yard line, you take one to two shots, and then you just – to me, you play for points. And I know people don't like that, but I think that, you know, our offense wasn't successful last year, and I think that 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 slow tempo, you know, giving defenses time to really line up really hurt us. Like, I mean, I'm even down if they huddle. Like, do the sugar huddle. Do what Georgia mm-hmm. did. If you want to huddle, that's fine. You quick break, boom, run out, snap the ball, catch them off guard. To me, like – we have to do something, whether it's tempo, and I don't think formation changes are it. I don't think, you know, scrapping his playbook and, you know, importing a whole new one is going to save the day. But I think that throughout the game, if he can integrate, hey, every first down, at least for the next two or three plays, we're going to tempo. So it's inside zone, inside zone, take a shot. And you can script that. So they know, hey, as soon as it's a first down, it's inside zone right, inside zone left, go, take a shot. 
And you can do that. You'll catch teams off guard because you're playing so fast that you'll catch kids looking to the sideline, trying to get the signal in. And your offense knows as soon as you get this first down, it's inside zone, outside zone fade. And so to me, it's stuff like that that you can integrate that's super simple that kids will know that you can wrap that over and over and over again at practice. So as soon as game hits, they know. And then you can change it next week. Maybe it's power right, power left, comeback. You know what I mean? You can change yeah. it, run, run, pass, and you can do whatever you want. But to me, it's that, it's that sense of like having the change of tempo really keeps people off guard. And I think that's one thing that if you watch Georgia, Georgia tempoed the hell out of TCU. They didn't sit there and play big boy ball with them, even though they could. But the first two drives, they changed tempos on them. They changed formations on them. To me, that was really a good job by Munkin because not only did he have good players, but he used, like, basically his skill set and, like, you know, the tempos to actually affect TCU as well. Um, this is from Larry Shender from Miami Media Associates. What does Malik think about our QB room, especially Jake and Jakari? Who will, se- who will step up to be a true number two behind TVD? Uh, and he's got a follow-up question after that. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, I both have a different skill set. Um, you know, I think that Jake is a more polished quarterback, not saying that Jakari isn't a good one, but, um, you know, Jake has a great quarterback coach with Danny Hernandez, so like football IQ, that kind of stuff, he understands. But I will say that the upside out of the two, the biggest upside is definitely Jakari. The kid's faster, the kid throws further, he has more athletic ability, but it's really about the guy, you know, that says, hey, like this whole offseason, I'm going to spend as much time as I can to understand this offense. And that's really what it's about. Like ability isn't their issue. Size isn't their issue. Uh, football IQ isn't their issue. It's just, you know, the guy that's going to do right every play. And I think that sometimes we young guys, you know, they always want that big shot. But sometimes the best thing you can do is check it down three or four yards. Um, so I think it's those guys that, you know, can show Mario, hey, I'm going to take care of the ball, number one. I'm not going to turn the ball over and put our team in a bad situation. But the next is going to be the guy you know, that consistently have completions, do the right thing, make the right checks. Um, so to me, it's just about the guy that that cares the most, you know, who's going to take that time to really do the right thing. I agree. I think, uh, you know, it's what you put in the offseason that makes a difference as far as you uh, evolving. I, I'll add my own little question in here before I get to his follow up. What was it that was Jake was struggling with? I mean, with the interceptions, the consistent was he just making bad decisions what do you think he was seeing? I mean, with, I know you weren't in the room, but just watching him, what do you think he was seeing when he was making some of those mistakes? I think he was just predetermining. You know, sometimes what happens is, is like you see quarters versus this play, you throw it all the time, and that's the only time, hey, Ed, hey we're going to call this play versus quarter because obviously practice is scripted. Mm-hmm. When you get in the game and you see quarters and you get all hyped, okay, I think it's quarters, and all of a sudden they start rocking and rolling. People with defense alignment come in your face, and all of a sudden – the throw that you thought you had, that guy's moved into that zone. So to me, I think some of it was just uh, predetermining where he wanted the ball to go. And I think suddenly, you know, sometimes guys say, hey, you know, I've watched, you know, Tua and Joe Burrow and all these guys throw these late bombs and hit guys running down the field late. And, you know, I think sometimes kids too try to make that hero spectacular play. And that I don't, I don't know if it was Jake in general, but I know a couple of times I think that Jake just got kind of lost in coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, not that he was making bad decisions, but I think that he predetermined where he wanted the ball to go, which is very honestly, which is very normal with young quarterbacks. Like I'll give an example of Nikosi his freshman year. Mm-hmm. So we messed. So John Rick had an idea to mess with Nikosi. So mm-hmm. Nikosi, we we told him all day that like, hey, um, you know, when you see quarters, we're throwing the post. So I go first. I get quarters. I throw the post. Kosi's rep. John goes, watch this. We told him to show quarters, rotate the cover three. I bet you he throws the post. In cover three, he throws the post. Now, I will say this, and then Kosey hit the post, and it was a completion, but it was a fact that because what he saw pre-snap, he predetermined and didn't really understand what was going on post-snap. 
Um, and obviously, Coach has gotten a lot better. He's smart as hell now. You know, the, the, the guy's going to do great wherever he goes. Um, but to me, it was a lot of that, that, that young mentality of, you know, not understanding, hey, these guys can still rock and roll. Like, don't predetermine where I want the ball to go. And I feel like that was some stuff that was happening to Jake. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously I know you work with Jakar. Are you still working with him quite a bit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he won't be down until like the 15th. So whenever he gets back, we'll probably work at the end of January. Okay. Um, I was curious because there were moments, obviously, against Georgia Tech where he looked absolutely amazing. And he mm-hmm. looked like a kid who was ready to step into somebody's shoes. Then the next couple of weeks, it seems like defense is obviously adjusted to him, right? They knew they knew what he liked to do. As you said, it's, it's kind of like baseball, right? Pitchers, uh, the batters study them. They know what pitches are coming to sequence. Uh, it, it, it happened to him. The, the question by Larry Shender here from Miami Media Associates on Twitter says, uh, can Ja'Curry become an elite passer uh, by 2024? When you project quarterbacks like a Ja'Curry and he's getting used to, to the quarterback game in college, how long does it take? How long does that process take of, 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 you know, maybe not just relying on predetermined reads, but actually being able to see exactly what the defense does? I think Jakari, I think physically his mechanics will be fine by the end of 24. Um, that's one thing that, you know, I'm personally going to take on to really help him with is getting his mechanics down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a huge part with the mental side of the game. So it doesn't matter if you have the best mechanics. Um, you know, that's something that he has to learn. And a lot of it is going to be between him and really Ponce. You know, mm-hmm. Pons having to sit down and teach him, hey, you know, versus his coverage, this is how we attack it. Because that's not what I teach. You know what I mean? Like, I like obviously I know it. Like, I'm not dumb. I know X's nose. But, you know, I don't want to teach him something that is not true. So I'll put like this, like mesh, like with Rick, it was always flat, flag, mesh, mesh, back. At Georgia, it was will, mesh, mesh, corner down. So it was like it was the same route, same same play, but different people read it differently. So that's why I don't really get into that. So I think the next step for him outside of, you know, making sure all his mechanics are flawless is making sure that he knows every read, whether I close my eyes, there's no matter what coverage you call, I should be able to tell you what the weakness is in every coverage based on that play. And that's where he has to get. Um, and so I think that could take him a year, year and a half. Obviously, he's learning the offense. So I think it's kind of the same thing. As much time as they can spend with Gaddis, with Ponce, in the playbook, watching film, closing their eyes, basically drawing it out in their head. To me, that's the biggest part that, kids don't really focus on you know everyone wants to go out there and throw slants and throw fades and throw digs and you know what I mean and they want to post it on YouTube or Instagram of them you know working training out in the sand pit okay cool fine but you know when you have 15 seconds to think do you know the play like the back of your hand do you know what the weaknesses in the offense or the defense or whatever position special teams um, to me it's that side of the game that you know the great ones really take their time and you hear like like and I think about the old guys they always talked about Green Tree was hard, but the way they studied film was crazy. Like, they would look at the knee pads, like, hey, these guys have big knee pads. We, we're, we're going at him all day. There was yeah. that attention to detail kind of in, in, in the film room that really helped them when they got on the field, just play fast, play confident, and play smart. So, to me, it was, it's, it's that side with both the young quarterbacks. Okay. Um, this is from Brian Haley, underscore Brian Haley on Twitter. Uh, what's your take on name, image, and likeness and the uh, Jaden Rashada situation that's currently <laughs> playing out at Florida? <laughs> uh, NIL, I love it. Um, you know, I think that they definitely need to regulate it. There needs to be ways that where both the school nor the kid can get held hostage by NIL, and I don't know how they're going to work that out. Um, you know, I do think there also should be a clause where, like, kids can't sign NIL deal until – I mean, maybe you minimize it. Hey, like a kid can't sign over a hundred thousand dollar NIL deal till after six months on campus. So something like that to where, you know, 
like because I because I think about four and five stars. The only reason why they're getting offers is because they're a four and five star. People are trying to recruit them. If everyone said, "Hey, the maximum that this freshman can make is a hundred thousand dollars," then it's about who can actually recruit. What college do you want to go to? Because it's not like a bidding war. Um, and I would say the biggest thing with Rashad is I don't blame him to be honest with you. Um, you know, if if then and this is from what just I heard. You know, if someone offered me multi millions and they only came up with a third of it. And like, it's like, okay, like what other promises are not true? Like, what else did you, did you tell me that that isn't real? So to me, it was kind of like that first, you know, bad decision. And I'll say that, you know, at least when I was in college, the colleges, they had all the power, you know, you were kind of like at their mercy. Um, and now I think it's kind of nice to where, you know, now some of the players, especially like if you, if, if you're good enough, you know, you kind of have a little bit of power in your hand to where, you know, like now schools can't just, I don't say lowball you, but like tell you something and all of a sudden back out like, oh yeah, like, you know, um, that 3 million we offered, you only have 800,000. Well, no, that's not what you told me. That's, that, that's why I signed here. So, mm-hmm. um, to me, I am glad that, you know, the players have some power, but I definitely hope that, you know, you don't see a whole bunch of cases like this because to me, that's not college football. You know, college football yeah. is about getting education, going there to play with your brothers, the NFL, that's where it's, you know, uh, money negotiation, contract negotiation. So I hope that, you know, they find a simpler way to kind of integrate, um, you know, basically high school kids into college. Well, uh, the way I studied it, and I just spent a, a whole lot of time uh, at the coaching convention and talking to different people uh, about NIL and all different kinds of things. Uh, but the way I, I look at this whole Rashada situation, Malik, is uh, you can tell a kid whatever they need to hear to get them to commit and to sign a national letter of intent, right? Because the way the rules are set up right now, the way it's supposed to work is you don't collect that paycheck, as you said, until you're officially on campus and a student, Um but the reality is schools can lie. And in Florida, if you just study the situation, it's real simple. They got DJ Lagway uh, committed in the uh, 2024 class. So do you think they're really going to pay Jaden Rashada multi-million uh, dollar deal when they've got another guy coming in right behind them? That's basically what happened here. And, mm-hmm. and in the end, um, until the NCAA and everybody just decides, hey, these collectives, um, they're going to be working with the school and these things are going to be made public uh, and they maybe change the signing period. Like, in other words, hey, when you sign this NIL deal, you're officially signing a national letter of intent. Unless it, unless it becomes something like that, where the student, okay, this is the money they're guaranteed to sign. I think you're going to see situations like this continue to persist because mm-hmm. these, these collectives and, and the individuals offering these NIL deals, let's face it, it is inducement. It is a bidding war, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. But until the rules and everything marry each other, you're going to continue to have situations like this. If Jaden Rashada had signed his NIL deal with Miami, who he was originally committed to, right? And at that point, he signed a national letter of intent. Miami, Miami's collective is now uh, has to pay him that money, and he has to come to Miami. It becomes mm-hmm. binding at that point. Until something becomes binding, it's just word of mouth. And, and, and unfortunately, the athletes are going to be the ones that get screwed over because the schools are going to move on and keep operating and doing what they need mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, and to me, I think that's one thing that um, I would say it's unfortunate as with Rashada, but I think that's one thing that's really coming to light is, you know, now you're seeing, you know, and, and some, some people ask me, like, you know, why is this kid transferring? You know, why is he leaving after his freshman year? Well, you don't know what he what these coaches sat there and told their mom and dads on right. their couch. Hey, you know, your son's going to start. There's no one competing against him. Like, he's going to get this amount of money. He's going to get X, Y, and Z. And they get there and like 75% of the promises that you offered me aren't even there. Um, to me, I think that's a side that I would say I would. I hope more people speak up about because I think that those are really, really bad. Okay. All right. Hold on. Give me 30 seconds. Yeah, no worries. Um, it, it's just such an unfortunate situation. Like I, I, 
I think again, there's going to be more and more guys getting getting screwed uh, with their NIL deals and and being promised more money than they're actually getting uh, once they actually get to campus. And but it's it's a cutthroat business, man. It's just the way it is. And we'll be wrapping this up soon, Malik. They I know you move. Yeah, sure. They move my truck from one side of the building because they're like doing got some construction going on out here. Oh, they okay. Got, like, new, yeah, Mike, one of my business partners, he has this. He has a new office, so uh, apparently they're. They're working on this side. So they want everyone to switch to the other. I got you. Do your thing, brother. We can keep talking. This is this is the uh, wide right on the move, man. This is uh, this is interesting. <laughs> All right. This question. This question is from David Sims on Twitter. He says, "Would appreciate Malik's perspective on the QB room going into the 2023 season. It seems like a tight group, and I like Emory Williams. If he was the quarterback coach, what would he have each of the guys work on this offseason to elevate their game and better position the Canes for success?" So we're losing you. I think it's from the internet signal of you having to move the truck. Uh, it's all right. I can, I'll fill up this dead airspace for our listeners while you're on the move and we're losing the signal. Um, here's how I would answer that question, David. And I'm not a quarterback guru. Um, I think there's going to be some movement one way or the other, right? Like right now, uh, four quarterbacks seems like a big number to have on a team. Um, you know, do, do I think somebody could potentially leave? Maybe. Um, will it happen this spring? I'm not sure. Um, it's, it, it really all just depends on, um, on what the coordinator situation, how that sort of plays out. Are there any changes to the coaching staff? Um, ultimately here, I think Tyler Van Dyke is the guy and we did lose Malik. Unfortunately, uh, we lost a signal. Hopefully we can get back in here, but, uh, um, unfortunately we lost Malik Crozier, uh, so I'm going to wrap this uh, podcast up for now. I know you guys had some more questions for him. Had to move his car, man. We took too long to, to get to all your mailbag questions. But anyway, that's going to wrap it up for uh, for Wide Right for this week's episode. Uh, make sure you uh, check us out on YouTube. Oh, wait. Is he back? It looks like Malik's trying to get back in here. Can we get him? No, not happening. All right. I'm going to shut this one down. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to Wide Right. We'll be back with another episode next week.